0: You know, people who are just like, you know, they're in meetings all the time. They're in meetings from sun up to sundown. Sick, they start at 6.30. Shout out to the surgeons. They got a meeting that starts at 6 a.m. Their last meeting on Zoom is at 4 p.m. They're just Zoom, Zooms, their meetings all the time. They're like, what is a no meeting day? I don't even know what that is. Right? And you see them and you're like, how are they? I guess I need you to be present. I need to be available too, right? And then you start thinking, well, maybe that's the mark of importance. When people start inviting you to meetings, you need to go. So you think that, oh, if something shows up in my inbox as an invite, my job is to add it to my calendar, right? Because maybe you look at the senior people in your in your division or department. Maybe you look at your mentor. They're in meetings all the time. This is what we do, right? They spend all day in meetings. Are y'all ready for the petty? Are you ready for the petty? Okay. I'm going to try to say this without any inflection. Okay. I'm just going to try to say it without any inflection. Some people like and need FaceTime to get things done.
1: Hello. Hello. You are listening to your unapologetic career. Being a woman of color faculty in academic medicine who wants to make a real difference with your career can be tough. Listen, these systems are not built for us, but that doesn't mean we can't make them work for us. In each episode, I'll be taking a deep dive into one core growth strategy so you can gain confidence and effectiveness in pursuing the dream career you worked so hard to achieve. All you have to do is tune in to your unapologetic career with me, your host, Kemi Dole, physician, surgeon, researcher, coach, and career strategist for an always authentic, sometimes a little raw, but unapologetically empowering word. I keep it real for you because I want you to win. get so many questions along the lines of, ah, how can I work with you?
0: (laughs) You're changing my life and I want more of this. And if you fall into that category and
1: you are a woman of color, faculty member in academic medicine, public health, or allied fields, then just keep listening. Listen,
0: are you building the academic career you want or hard at work checking boxes on everyone else's to-do list? A successful career doing the work you love doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your values, your family, or your joy. Stop trying to be everything to
1: everybody and get to learning the strategies that will 3x your productivity, hone your passions into funded projects, and create the career you worked so hard to achieve. If you've been to every career development and professional development workshop that sounded great but didn't actually deal with the kind of institutional
0: pressures you face. If you're working hard, but somehow stuck in inefficiency, putting everyone else's priorities first. If you spent years training and sacrificing to become academic faculty, and here you are still working nights and weekends on the projects you care most about, I'm here to tell you that you can walk away from this institutional mindset forever and take control of your career with clarity and strategy. Every day, I help women of color faculty of all
1: career levels in academic medicine, like you, reframe and recreate their academic life so that they can channel their ideas, passions, and skills
0: into grant-funded work with institutional support and sustainability. And that is why this episode is brought to you by Get That Grant our six-month high-performance coaching program for high-achieving women of color faculty in academic medicine who are ready to reclaim career control and secure grant funding doing the
1: work they love. In Get That Grant, we help you kick imposter syndrome to the curb for good so you lead your career with clarity and confidence. You learn
0: productivity and strategy skills for grants and papers to maximize your chances of success without wasting your time abandoning your passion or working yourself
1: into the ground. We help you build the foundation for an amazing and fulfilling academic career, changing your life and the lives of everyone your work will touch.
0: Yes, this future is possible for you and it's waiting on you to make the first step. If you are ready for career success without sacrifice, I encourage you to join our waitlist at kemidoll.com backslash grant. After you join the waitlist, you'll be notified
1: when the next Get That Grant cohort will be enrolling. Your application process will include an in-depth career foundations assessment, helping you identify the gaps in your foundation
0: that are holding you back from enjoying the career you work so hard to achieve. No more secret worrying that the career you want isn't really possible. This career assessment will show you exactly where you need to focus to level up your experience and your impact. Join the waitlist today to get in line. Visit backslash grant to sign up. Talk to you soon.
1: Hey, folks, welcome back to the
0: show. So today's episode is new and fresh. It is coming from an Instagram
1: live video stream that I did sometime in the last several weeks if the timing works out. I just wanted to give you a heads up because you'll hear me talking to some folks in the comments, um,
0: and it might be a little bit more less polished than the other episodes. But um, we're doing something new this year where I'm deciding not to try to edit out all of that um, lovely
1: live energy, um, but we're just going to give it to you. So yeah, I hope you enjoy this episode. This one was one of those ones that kind of like started with a slow build. And then by the end, I was like, yes, we are hitting home. (laughs) We are hitting home. So I hope you agree and are interested in thoughts about how hypervigilance can ruin your career. I want to talk today about how hypervigilance can cripple your career progress. My name
0: is Kemi. I'm a coach and career strategist for women of color faculty in academic medicine and public health. And I'm coming to you in this to talk about this issue of hypervigilance and I want to acknowledge where it comes from, but then I want to talk about how it can show up and just be, I just see it as this constant source of struggle with women of color faculty, with clients that we serve, but also just more broadly, because I think it's it's like kind of become part of the culture in like a really unhealthy, unhelpful way. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. All right. So here's the thing. I'm going to give you my thesis upfront because y'all know I like to do that. Just, you don't have to wait for it. Here's my thesis up front. Stop paying attention to everybody else. Stop paying attention to everybody else. That's where we're going to go to, but let's take it back because doing that is actively hindering your progress. But I want to acknowledge that this isn't about like trying to be better than the next person, right? I don't think this is about an active desire to keep comparing and competing or whatever. That's not the type of like not looking at everybody else that I'm talking about. I'm talking about when we start looking around at everybody else, that place of looking outward for what we're supposed to do that's born of hypervigilance. And when you are a woman of color faculty in academic medicine or public health, when you are an only in your environment, you have to have some level of hypervigilance, okay? So when you're first only different, this is why I think the conversation is a little bit different for us. When you're positioned that way, you're the first black woman in your division, okay? You're the first person looking like you, melanated, coming through the door, doing the kind of work that you're going to do, you are hyper-visible. I have written about this in the New England Journal of Medicine. You are hyper-visible, right? You're invisible and you're hyper-visible at the same time. So that is going to come with a level of hyper-vigilance that's important. You have to have that level of hyper-vigilance because you have to be aware of like, am I supported in the way that I'm supposed to be supported? Let me make sure that everybody else doesn't have this, you know, this kind of office and I'm over here in the basement. Let me make sure, you know, that I'm literally getting what I'm supposed to get. Like you have to have a level of hypervigilance just to make sure that you're not experiencing the default exploitation. We have to acknowledge that that's going to be part of your navigation is being aware of what's happening in the environment, who's getting different things in the environment, things like pay. There's a reason why Black women, Latino women, indigenous women, we all make less than everybody else in academics, right? You have to have hypervigilance about those things so that you can be sure that you are not experiencing what otherwise would be a default lower quality in terms of support, in terms of pay, in terms of space, in terms of all of that. So we gotta acknowledge that, y'all, right? I have to just make sure that I'm set up correctly. I have to make sure that nobody's pulling one over on me. I have to make sure that I'm being paid appropriately. That kind of hypervigilance, that is expected. That is, that is something that comes with being first only different. That's something that comes with when you come in as the, me- you bring in the melanin. You know, all my people who bring the diversity, you know who I'm talking about, where you walk in the room and everybody relaxes because now it's diverse. Okay. So let's acknowledge that there is an element of external focus that you have to have as part of just surviving, as part of having the information that you need to, based on your position at the margins in your career. So I acknowledge that, and I wanna acknowledge it because I wanna point something out, is that the problem is, Especially the longer and longer and longer we have that skill, the longer we have to use it, the more integrated it becomes in us, just like breathing. It's like breathing to notice those things. It's like breathing to be hypervigilant about those things. It's also exhausting, yes. The longer we do that, the harder it is for us to actually have any nuance around that. So if you're constantly having to keep tabs and keep track and make sure that you are being supported the way you're supposed to be supported, that you're getting paid appropriately, then it's very hard to turn that off when you're also looking around and noticing like what people are doing with their careers, how many papers they're publishing, what they're doing with their talks, how they're spending their time, how long they're working in the office. All of that becomes part of the surveillance. It's all part of that. If you don't go through a process where you're trying to be very thoughtful about what you are paying attention to and what you're not, your default is that you're gonna be also not just paying attention to like the setup and if it's unfair or not, but you're gonna be paying attention to what everybody else is doing. What's my peer over there doing? How many talks are there they giving a month? What's that peer over there doing? How many papers are they publishing? How many lectures? Did this person do et cetera, et cetera? That hypervigilance is like on all the time. It's on for everything. Right. And you hopefully you already start to hear and see why that becomes an issue. Right. Because what happens is that this can basically translate into beyond just checking to make sure that we're set up well. It translates into us constantly looking outward to determine what we should be doing too. Right, so if we haven't disentangled those things, what we're constantly doing is watching other people's career and trying to figure out what the blueprint is. Right, that's what we do. That's like a natural thing to do. Here's the problem with that. I see this all the time, and that this is why I'm bringing this up. People are like, "Well, well, I've only published one paper, and they published four papers this year." Well, you know, I noticed that they gave a talk here, and they're doing CME work over there, and they're doing that, and I'm not doing any of that. What's up, Jay's bot? Thank you for the hello right? This is what I hear all the time. But the problem with this, in addition to the fact that comparison is the thief of joy, which hopefully all of you have heard that phrase before. I did not point that. Comparison is a thief of joy. So outside of that, right, is that the problem is you can only see what people are doing. You cannot see why they are doing it. You have no idea why they're doing what they're doing, right? What does that mean? You don't know whether it's working for them. You see them doing it, but you don't know whether it's working for them. In fact, you don't even know how they define working, right? You don't even know how they define that. So you're sitting there comparing yourself. Well, this person stays till 7.30 PM every night when they work. They, they're they never out of the office before 7 PM. So I look bad when I leave early to get my kids. I look bad and I'm sitting there going, you don't know why they are there. I'm telling you, you don't know why they're there at 7.30 and you don't know why that's working for them. You don't know, for example, here's the thing, y'all. You don't know if they like their family. Why have you assumed that they want to be around them? So we're looking at them like, wow, wow, they work so hard, but they have a spouse too, but they have kids too. You don't know that life. You don't know what's going on in that house. Let me tell you something. I have met more than one who is very happy to be at work late to avoid the drama of their household before 7:38 p.m. So before you start comparing yourself and thinking, "Well, I'm too lazy. I'm not working as hard. I'm not really committed." You don't know why that work schedule is working for that person. They may not like their spouse, boo. Can we be honest? A lot of people don't like who they live with. So you're sitting there thinking, "Wow, they're so focused. They're so committed. They're avoiding their home." My friend, So you can't be comparing yourself to that person. That's just one example. You don't know whether it's working for them. Here's another one. You don't know what deficits they may be making up for. You don't know. There might be things that you're completely unaware of that they're making up for. That is the reason why there were four papers that came out this year. You don't know what's going on behind that, right? You don't know why somebody's doing three or five talks a month. You have no clue. So you can't be comparing yourself to that. And here is the thing that I want to like really make clear. I mean, I have to say, I should have probably started y'all by saying this is like, I feel like this is a shady, petty, (laughs) this is like the shady, petty version of this talk, right? Of like, don't compare yourself to other people. This is the petty version. Let's just be honest. You don't know what deficits they're making up for. You have no idea why they're doing three to five talks a month. Why are they publishing all these papers? Why are they working late? You don't know what the situation is. They could be making up for deficits, but not only that, if you ask, let's just keep it a buck. If you're like, well, let me go find out. I want to ask, why are you doing this? They're not going to tell you the truth. Who's going to tell you like, oh, I'm working late because I don't want to see my spouse. <laughs> Who's going to tell you that? Who's going to tell you, well, I've got to publish these four papers. So I actually didn't do anything on this project. So I got to carry my weight by writing all these papers as much as possible. Nobody's saying that to you. People give PR answers, right? They're not giving you the truth underneath the truth underneath the truth because they don't know you. So why would they do that, right? So again, you don't know why it's working for them. You don't know what deficits they may be making up for. And the last reason, y'all, is truly the reason is that you don't know their business. That's really all it is. You don't know their business. You don't know what their goals are. Their goals might be completely different from your goals. Their goals might be just to get to a certain level, sit there and enjoy the fact that they've made it to that level. That's it. They don't care about the work. They don't care about the impact. They don't care about any of that. They're still collecting gold stars. That's what they're doing. And you're sitting here comparing yourself to them for no reason. We have got to stop this. Let me tell you what we're doing is that we're trying to, you're trying to reverse engineer what you see them doing onto your life. And it doesn't work that way. It never, it does not work that way. I'm going to tell you, well, at least one story, potentially two. Okay, just to hammer home, this is just to hammer home how like ridiculous it is for us to do this, right? So when I was a fellow, I was presenting, I had an oral presentation for my research at the Society of Gynecologic Oncology. I was very proud of myself. I was very happy to oral talk. Okay. This was about my research, the research that I have come up with the idea. I wrote the grant. I got it funded. It was a little grant it was $35,000. Y'all is an internal, internal grant, $35,000. First of all, can we talk about how your girl can stretch a budget? Okay. A 200 person, 200 plus person, longitudinal observational cohort, For 35 grand? Okay, if you, okay, I need to do another podcast. How to stretch that budget, y'all. How to squeeze as much out of it. Anyway, so I was so proud of myself. I had my first, like, primary results ready, and it got an oral presentation. I know, wow, right? I got an oral presentation at our annual meeting. I gave my talk. My talk was great. This was before I realized that I'm a very good public speaker. So I didn't know that. So I gave my talk and it was like very well received. I was like, "Okay. I mean, I had practiced. I had practiced a lot." But it was still very well received. I was very happy about that. So then afterwards, I step off the podium and somebody, we'll just say somebody. We're going to leave it like that because you know, GU Oncology is a small world. <laughs> somebody came up to me and they were like, "Oh. You know what they said? It's so great that your mentor let you present." their work so you could get yourself out there, you know, so you could put yourself out there, you know, in terms of people knowing who you were. Yes. To my face, literally. And they were thinking this as a compliment, right? They were like, I see what's happening here. Your mentor thought it would be a great idea for you to present the prod, like their work, their primary paperwork so that you could get yourself out there, put yourself out there. So what were they doing? They were taking what they saw me do and they were using their limitations in their world of how things operate and they were putting a and b together and they were coming up to tell me why i was doing what i was doing right as opposed to the fact that of course i was just like happily there to present my own work i wasn't even thinking about like visibility in that way i didn't even understand that whole world to be honest of course i was insulted right this is very frustrating but i want you to step back from the insult and think about that thing Think about how often we're sitting watching somebody give a talk or watching somebody do something and making up all this stuff in our head of how they got there and what they're doing and what the purpose of it is and how they're able to do it and all of that stuff. It's ridiculous because you don't know. You don't know what's going on with people. I'm saying this meaning that sometimes we will get ourselves all intimidated because we do, we assume that everybody is doing the same amount of work we're doing in order to generate the amount of the productivity. And you don't know that somebody just jumped on a train a couple of years ago. I met somebody who walked into an R21. She told me, I was like, wait, because basically we were talking and she was, this is not a client by the way. And she was talking And I was kind of like, I was confused because I was like, it sounds like what you're saying is that like, you basically don't know how to put this thing together into like a grant. Like, like you don't understand like how to put this together. And I was confused because I was like, didn't you just wrap up that R21? Like, can't you just transfer those skills? Me, assuming. And then that's when I learned. She was like, oh no, I just walked, I just walked into that. Like the person who got it left. So they put me in charge. And here I am the whole time. (laughs) Assuming a certain set of facts because it never occurred to me that that could be a pathway to be a PI on an NIH funded study, right? But I'm bringing up all these examples because I just want to show you how limiting it is and limited it is to look at what people are doing and then actually think, oh, I should be doing that when you have no other information. It's a recipe for disaster and it bothers me. And I'm talking about it because a lot of us get so dejected. I mean, we get so down because we see somebody doing something that we're not doing. Or conversely, we create these weird new goals that come out of nowhere. Like, wait, why do you feel like you have to do X or Y? And it turns out the answer is, well, because I saw this person doing it and it's a waste of time and energy. So I basically want to go through a thought exercise with y'all. Okay. I want to go through a thought exercise about one, this is just one theme. Like this is one time I see this happening. I just want to say like, there's like many other versions, right? Of this, but this is just like one I want to bring up and maybe we'll talk about a few other ones to illustrate a point. Okay. There are some people you will notice that give like, mm, you know, like three to five talks a month, right? They give a lot of talks. So you might be looking around your division department and you're like, wow, that person's always out there. They're like giving grand rounds over here. They're giving a talk over here at the conference et cetera, et cetera. But basically like they're on the circuit giving talks all the time. I'm gonna call this in general, people who are always out there, okay? So there are many reasons why this could be the case. Just think about how distinct these are before you decide, you go decide, oh, I need to step up my game. Number one, they might be in a season. When you're out there giving a lot of talks like that, they might be in a season where grant writing or paper writing is on pause, They might have just gone through and gotten done all the work, gotten funded and all that, and nothing's really happening right now. They're on a multi-year study where you're just waiting for the results to come through. There's admin work to do, but not much else. In other words, you are not stressed about a deadline, about funding, about whatever. This is the perfect time for you to get out there and give talks and uh, network with people who are doing similar work that you are doing, etc. This can also happen if you just got results and you're like kind of on the conference circuit. So you're like, listen, the results are pumping out of the work I'm doing and you're on the conference circuit and you're actually making a very deliberate choice to get as much input and dialogue and discussion as possible to inform how you end up writing up the final paper. So you are literally out there running around, but you're not doing that while stressing about funding. You're not doing that while stressing about productivity. This is your time to run around and not be tied to a deadline. So it's a great time to be out there. But do you see how if you're sitting in your office worried about this paper getting submitted, this grant being written, but going, oh no, but I haven't done a talk in three months. And there goes my colleague on her fourth. I should say yes to this opportunity that just came in my inbox to give a talk that I will have to create from scratch. It makes no sense, right? You know how often when I'm working with people, like when we're in the weeds, in their activities, we're in the weeds and it's like, where's your time going? What is the problem? Oh, well, I have to give this talk. Why are you giving that talk? This does not sound like the area you just told me that you're focused on. Why is this happening? Well, you know, I haven't been out there in a while. I haven't given a talk in a while. I noticed this person. So I said, yeah, I mean, I mean, routinely I hear this and I'm just like, what does what they're doing have to do with what you're doing? Nothing. Nothing other than you've created a whole story that added all of this stress and pressure to your life that you didn't need because you took something in without understanding what actual role it was playing for that person. And it's going to play a different role for you, a taxing role, an exhausting role. Here's another reason why somebody might be out there giving three to five talks a month that doesn't have anything to do with you and doesn't have anything to do with visibility. They might be building a brand. That's adjacent to academics okay y'all the side hustle life is becoming increasingly popular and let me tell you something i think this is a great thing i think the more of us that are less financially dependent on these racist ass institutions the better so go out and get your side hustle life. okay so but it is getting increasingly popular right so there are people who understand this and they're doing this they basically almost have they have like a pr plan for their academic talks. They're like, listen, if you want to catch me, I'm going to be at Yale, then I'm going to be at Princeton, then I'm going to be at UCLA, right? Like they are telling you and they're doing all this. And you're sitting there thinking like, wow, I'm not organized. What am I doing? This is not, meanwhile, you don't know. They got a plan, boo. They are building up a brand adjacent to academics that they plan to do something with, right? Maybe they plan to start consulting. They plan to do something specific with that. So my question is before you say, oh, I need to get out there too. I need to go do a million talks too. I need to, you know, be able to advertise where I'm going and have all this. Here's my question for you. Do you have a side hustle plan? What is your biz plan, my friend? Do you have a marketing spreadsheet? How are you monetizing this? If you don't know any of that, please don't waste your time building a brand. Please don't do that. Okay. Have the work that you do. Have the academic work that you do. Have the research that you do. Have those fire words that you write in your papers, in your commentaries. Have the impact that you do when you teach new minds and they connect with you. Have that be your brand. Have your work be your brand, okay? Before you start getting distracted by the social media of it all, by the Twitter of it all, by all of that, understand that unless you know what you're doing, unless you're clear on how this is a business that you are monetizing, please don't waste your time chasing these vanity metrics, chasing all this stuff on social media. When you have papers to write, when you have grants to get submitted, please. That's another reason why somebody might be out there that has nothing to do with you and it's none of your business. Number three. Another reason why somebody might be out there just running, you know, just running around, talks all the time, right? All over the place. Boo, they could be on the job market. Y'all know how the academic job market is. It is so weird. It's secretive. Half the time, if you're at an institution, you've been there for a while, you can't even tell them you're looking because everybody will literally throw a hissy fit. It is like you got to go under the cover of night, confidential trips all of this stuff. So you know what's a really good way (laughs) to find out about institutions and put yourself out there is go give a bunch of talks. (laughs) Go out on the circuit and go give a bunch of talks. They're on the job market. Those people, some of those people, they're hunting, my friend. They are hunting on purpose. They're having backdoor conversations. They're getting a sense of different spaces, right? That's what they're doing. Now, if you happy where you are, and you just need to get your work done and write your papers or whatever, what are you doing worried about how many talks they're giving? What are you doing with that? All of this is coming back to the fact that what you see, what you see people doing is the result of several variables that make having the kind of schedule that they have, that doing the kind of actions they have make sense to them. That's what you see, right? And most of us are not close enough with any of these people to actually know what all those variables are. Don't be like, oh, I'll just ask them and they'll tell me. They don't know you, boo. They're gonna give you the PR answer just like you would give somebody the PR answer. They're not telling you that, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that, right? But the problem is we will do all this fuzzy math from afar and make up our own equation of what's working. People will tell me, like, well, I know that I have to do this. I know I have to be on this person's project. I know I have to publish in this commentary. I have to be on this ridiculous committee that doesn't mean anything. I have to do all these things in order to get this level, in order to get promoted. Or I have to do all these things in order to be able to get in with this group. Or I have to do all these things in order to be able to, whatever, establish my reputation. I'm sitting there like, who told you that? Where did you get this idea from? It's like, well, he... Does A, B, C, and D stop it, y'all? Stop it, stop it, stop it. It's a waste of time. Okay, so we hate it when people do it to us, right? We don't like when people make assumptions about what we're doing. I want you to stop making assumptions about what other people are doing. All right, now, if you haven't noticed, there's an underlying message here. Who's already picked up? Who has already picked up on the underlying message? The underlying message is do you know why you're doing the things you're doing? If you are out there like I just described, if you're giving three talks a month, if you're out there, if you're oversubscribed, do you know why? Does it make sense for the season in your life right now for you to be running around everywhere? Does that make sense? Do you know why? Does it make sense for the season of your life right now for you to be at work every day till 7.30 p.m.? Is that what you want? Is that working for you because you don't really like your spouse? Is that, because if it's not, then you need a reinvention right? If that's not working for you, then there's no reason to keep doing it. Once we realize that, then that means, oh, I need to change this because I I don't know what Kevin's talking about. If you're worried about being on Twitter and worried about getting retweeted and worried about all this, but you don't know what your business plan is. You can't tell me how you're monetizing any of this. You don't know any of that. My question is, what are you doing spending four hours a day on that site? First of all, it's been destroyed, y'all. I mean, the algorithm is trash now. The algorithm is horrible. I don't understand how you could come in in such a short period of time and a part-time Clyde could ruin that space so effectively. I mean, it's just, I used to go on there and see friends and see interesting commentary. And now it's just anger on my feed. It's horrible. Okay. Sorry. That was a side note. But you see the point, there needs to be thought behind how you're spending your time and how you are arranging all these academic ingredients so you make sure that they work for you. Let me tell you something, I gave seven talks my first year on faculty, seven. I was running around like a fool. It was perfect, it's exactly what I needed. I was working out an idea, I was figuring it out, I was just publishing papers from fellowship, getting those out, working my idea, and it was all working for me. The next year, I didn't give seven talks. I didn't need to. Right? It was thoughtful. But if somebody who started at the same time as me, who was doing something totally different, saw me and was like, well, I got to do what Kemi's doing, they're lost before they even begin because they don't even understand what I'm doing. Side note make a decision about these things actively so that they are all making sense for you. That's actually where career satisfaction comes from. That's where that feeling that's like, oh, I worked really hard today, but it was good, but like, I appreciate it because I can see exactly how it connects to the goals that I have for my career. I know exactly how this gets me from here to there. When you reverse engineer, when you look at other people and go, oh, I gotta do what they're doing. You don't know what that path is. You're basically preying on magic. You're like, well, I saw her jump over there, twirl and stick her hand up and she got promoted. So let me go do the same thing. (laughs) That's what you're doing. So if you're wondering why you're unhappy because you're on this committee that you don't wanna be on. Why are you unhappy? Because you're burned out, you know, giving lectures in the middle of clinic. Why are you unhappy because you're on these projects that you don't care about, but they were important and they're gonna be marquee and they're gonna be whatever, whatever. You're wondering why you're unhappy because you can't see a path from A to B. You jumped on thinking that the magic would happen instead of doing the harder work, which is actually mapping out your steps from the tangible, specific goal that you have to create for yourself and seeing exactly what steps make sense to get from where you are to there. And you know what? Nobody can do that for you. There's no blueprint. Nobody is going to give you a faculty handbook that's going to do that for you. Nobody's gonna give you an outline that's going to do that for you. These pieces of information are circumstantial. You can see different things people are doing, but nobody is going to be able to tell you what is your specific goal in three years. Forget, I want to be promoted. That's six years from now. What's your goal in three years? Where do you want to be in three years? Exactly. That's what you want to work back from and then plan your activities accordingly. Somebody might be out doing talks because that's all they need for promotion. They got everything else on lock. They got funding on lock. They got publications on lock. They got teaching on lock. And somebody was like, you need like a few more national talks. And they were like, bet, no problem. I'm about to do six in the next four months and knock it out. That's why they're there, right? But you don't know that. Okay, here are some other examples that I want to throw out there. Here's another one. People who are like all over, they have like a million different COI projects. Y'all know what I'm talking about? People who are like, they're funded over here for 5%, funded over here for 10%, funded over here for 12%, funded back there for 3%, right? They're stretched out over like a million COI projects, right? And a lot of times what I hear people say is like, well, my mentor told me, or so-and-so told me, like, I need to collaborate, I need to jump on these projects so I can keep my funding, blah, 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 I have to do this, have to do that, have to do that, right? Or they see that, like, well, people have their hands in all these different pots, so I have to do all that. And then what is that resulting with? That's resulting with, like, just being completely stretched out. There are some people, now I'm gonna tell you, there's nothing wrong with this, but there are some people who like contributing more than leading. They like contributing more than leading. They don't want that PI responsibility, y'all. It's stressful. They don't want all that admin responsibility. It's stressful. They like contributing more than leading. They're cool with that. At the end of the day, the project is what it is, right? They might like to work independently rather than having to manage people. Y'all know that work is easy, but it's the people who are hard, right? Somebody just told me that recently. And I said, thank you for that reminder. Work is easy. People are hard. They might not want to manage people. It might be just fine for them to be on 15 different projects at 5%. And that means that they don't have to be in charge of anything. I have met so many people. They are cool, y'all. They are chilling. Like they are happy. Funded on everybody else's grant. Not stressed. Not stressed. Always got another grant to jump on. Always got another thing to jump on. And, and I'm, they're truly, they're truly happy. So the question is, who are you? That's the question. It's not, oh, I need to go get on a bunch of different projects. My mentor told me in order to fix my funding clip, I have to go get on all these projects. It's not, oh, well, I noticed that my this person is a PI on this, but also has like six other side projects. So that's the definition of success. It's not, I have to be a co-I on everybody's project just because I need to know what's going on. No, no. Who are you? Which kind of researcher are you? Which kind of investigator are you? Be honest with yourself. Don't go put yourself on everybody's project and then have such strong opinions that you take over everybody's work. I know y'all. Don't be like that. Don't be like, oh no, I'm just getting funding over here. But you're taking on so much responsibility, so much stress because you don't know how to do anything different. Cause let's be honest. You like to be in charge. Let's be honest. You're the girl in the group project that just takes over the whole thing because you can't even handle watching people fumble. You are physically uncomfortable seeing mediocre work. It hurts. It actually hurts you to your core. So if you're in the room, all of a sudden you're walking out with another to do all of a sudden, everybody realizes, well, I mean, (laughs) if we want it done well, can so-and-so do it? And all of a sudden you're doing all the work. Don't say, oh, I need to get on this project as a co-I because I need that FTE. You know what my question is? Can you handle can you handle being in that room and not taking on more responsibility? Can you actually handle the co-I life or do you need to be honest with yourself about who you are? You a PI through and through. you always been the bossy girl. You've always been in charge. You've always wanted high quality. Stop wasting your time on 50 million people's projects. What are you doing, girl? People who are doing that aren't like you. There's nothing wrong with that, but they're doing something different than you are they're doing something different. You need to focus on what you're building. If you wanna build work, if you wanna build a body of work, if you wanna do a project the way that you wanna do it, not that you wanna do it alone, but you wanna recruit the help, you wanna hire the biostatistician, you wanna hire the research coordinator, you wanna see a vision enacted, you wanna bring people together, stop wasting time giving out all your time and energy on everybody else's project it doesn't make any sense. All you're gonna do is be frustrated and never actually be able to dedicate the time that you need to dedicate to your work. Okay, I'm trying to be honest here because again, The conversations I have are when people are deep in this hole going, how is this possible? What do I do? And it's like, why are you here though? And I want to come with you with empathy, right? I want to come with you to empathy. I understand understand how you get there when you're looking around going, well, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do. But what I'm trying to explain to you is that many times you don't know why people set up is the way it is. And there are people that it works for them. And you know what? Especially if something really works for you, you're going to go tell everybody to do it. But you know what people don't say? People don't say, oh, you should definitely go get a co-eye on this and that and that and that. Because I do that because I hate being in charge. Nobody says that. Nobody says you should definitely go do that because I hate responsibility, don't you? (laughs) Who's going to say that? Right? So that's why we have to be thoughtful. Okay, here's another example: spending all day in meetings. <laughs> okay. How many of you know people who are just like, you know, they're they're in meetings all the time. They're in meetings from sun up to sundown. sick they start at 6:30. Shout out to the surgeons. They got a meeting that starts at 6 a.m. Their last meeting on Zoom is at 4 p.m. They're just Zoom, Zooms, they're in meetings all the time. They're like, what is a no meeting day? I don't even know what that is, right? And you see them and you're like, how are they? I guess I need you to be present. I need to be available too, right? And then you start thinking, well, maybe that's the mark of importance. When people start inviting you to meetings, you need to go. So you think that, oh, if something shows up in my inbox as an invite, my job is to add it to my calendar, right? Because maybe you look at the senior people in your, in your division or department. Maybe you look at your mentor. They're in meetings all the time. This is what we do, right? They spend all day in meetings. Are y'all ready for the petty? Are you ready for the petty? Okay. I'm going to try to say this without any inflection. Okay? I'm just going to try to say it without any inflection. Some people like and need FaceTime to get things done. There's nothing wrong with this. I'm not saying this with any inflection. Some folks, they prefer to work live with somebody there all the time. That's how they like to get things done. I'm going to leave that. They prefer work meetings to asynchronous work. They would actually prefer to do the work live together asynchronously. So there are some people like who are like that. And I just wanna tell you, you can tell who those people are because when you go to their meetings, shit gets done, right? That's how you can tell that you're in that kind of meeting because yes, it's a meeting, but you're never just sitting around doing nothing because that's how they like to work. They're like, great, your face is on the screen, my face is on the screen, let's work this out. And even though you might feel like, I feel like we could have done this separately, like I didn't feel like we had to be in the same room, things are still happening. So there's that. So one, just ask yourself, am I that kind of person? And then think about like, which meetings do you go to that you actually get that versus you don't? But let me tell you something else. Let me tell you, this is where the petty's coming in, okay? Let me tell you something else. For some people, Their job is valued by how many meetings they have, okay? The criteria for whether they are doing their job, the criteria for their job is the presence of meetings, not the content, not the value, not the efficiency, just the fact that it's actually happening, right? So if you are taking that and you're thinking that you need to somehow emulate that, you see how they're off? if you're sitting in the meeting going why are we here doesn't this feel like a waste of time for everybody is everybody not dying i'm telling you the person who could be in the meeting is probably not dying because maybe all they needed to do is just get you in a seat on zoom and their job is done regardless of whether anything happens or not shout out to academic leadership right so again You don't need to spend all day in meetings if you're not getting anywhere. You don't need to even create meetings for a project if you don't have a reason to meet. So I see people too, they're like, well, I have so many meetings. I'm like, why? They're like, well, this project has a weekly meeting, that project has a weekly meeting, that project, and then this project has a monthly meeting. And then I'm like, why? What do you do? Like, well, I just felt like we're supposed to. Why? Who told you that? Who told you that that was the only way to get things done? Once again, make sure that you actually know why you are spending the time the way you're doing it. And you're not trying to reverse engineer from a structure that somebody is doing when you don't know why they're doing it. You don't know why it works for them. You don't know the deficit they're making up for. You don't know their business. Last one, y'all. Sometimes we'll see people who are... Okay, this one is personal. Not personal to me, but it's just like, you know, it hits a little closer. Sometimes we'll see people who are working with a particular person or a particular mentor that does not work for you, okay? Everybody take a deep breath and everybody is like, oh yeah, that's the person. Everybody assumes you should be working with that person. They're such a great mentor. They've mentored generations of scholars, right? They're sponsored XYZ, like everybody. This is the way. This is how you do. You get in with this person, that person over there. You get in there with that. This is the guy that you get in with. And everything will flow from there. And you're sitting there looking and you're like, gosh, it seems to be true, right? It seems like, I don't know, like people get in, people there are mentored by him. And then this happens. They get this paper. They get put on this committee. They get put in this leadership position. Like, I don't know, Kemi. I know you're saying that we really can't tell from the outside, but at the same time, it's like, this is kind of true, right? Like once we get into this person, this is kind of like the highway, the highway to success in my career. So that's what I'm supposed to do. That's what we see from the outside. And you know what I see? You know what I see from the inside as a coach? People over and over and over and over again in toxic, exploitative, Deeply, deeply dissatisfying professional relationships that they feel like they can't get out of because there was only one way to be successful in this field or in this arena. And it was through this person. So let me just remind you, if you're looking, if you're one of those people that are looking at this partnership, it just seems like everything works out. I need to get in with these people. I need to get in with this person. I want to remind you that you don't know the history of those relationships. You don't know why it's working for that person, no. It comes back to the same things again. You don't know why it's working for them. You don't know what deficits they are making up for. You don't know if they're very happy to be exploited to have their name on the next thing and keep going. You don't know how it's working for them. You don't know what they're sacrificing in order to stay in that VIP orbit. You don't know what they're sacrificing. You don't know how they're making up for that sacrifice. You don't know what's going on in their home life. You don't know what's going on to make up for the fact that they get to stay in this orbit. How many of these expose articles do we have to get before you recognize that maybe you don't need to just follow the crowd when you've tried or it doesn't work out or it's weird or you don't, you got bad vibes from this person? Trust yourself. Y'all know how in every one of these documentary series about these grifters, right? This is an aside. Y'all know like Firefest, Lulu like not lemon what's that? The weird leggings people. La La Rue, something like that. Y'all know how in every single one, there's a black woman at some point who's going, this never seemed right to me. <laughs> you know, there is always, usually a black woman, but sometimes there's a black person who's always like, let me tell you something like, I mean, I worked it for a while, but like it didn't curl all the way over, as Crystal would say from the read, right? There's always somebody who's like, "Mm -mm." you might be that person. Trust yourself. You might be the person who's like, I know it's supposed to be all whatever, but something ain't right. Every time I met with this person, they never helped me. Every time I asked for something, they basically said no. The only way they said that we could work together is basically they steal my ideas, like, What's wrong with me? I'm saying there's nothing wrong with you. You're the person in the documentary who's going, I knew there was something off there. That's what's going on. Things you don't know what those relationships require and they don't have to be any part of your business. All I want us to do is I want us to free ourselves. I want us to recognize a totally radical, ridiculous truth. Just ridiculous. Just doesn't make any sense at all. Right. Is that you are the expert in what works for you in your career. Stop looking around to see what you should be doing. Build what you are going to do based on your individual goals and the type of work that you do. That's your job. And you know what will happen when you do that. Do you know what will happen? People will come to you and they'll be like, I notice that you're very productive and I'm wondering how you do that. People will come to you and they'll be like, I noticed you are so focused. How do you do that? And then they'll start to like think of things. And you're like, wow, that is really funny. That you, is it because of your away message? No, <laughs> like, no. I didn't have that, that away message until eight months ago, right? That's what starts to happen. And you know what they're doing? They're trying to understand. They're trying to put the pieces together because it doesn't. they can't make it add up. And you know what the answer is? I did what worked for me. I worked when I wanted to work. I didn't work when I didn't want to work. I worked with who I wanted to work with. I followed my ideas, even though I was the only one who thought that they had any like merit, any whatever. I stuck with people who were quality, who could help me regardless of what their titles were or were not. I decided the work hours that worked for me and didn't worry about what it looked like to everybody else. I closed the door of my office, even though everybody else wanted it open. I worked in clinic in the side room because that was how I could get through my notes and be efficient, even though people wondered like why I wasn't in the main room. I did what worked for me. That's how it happened. That's how it worked, right? That's what we're aiming for. And I want to point out this because I think that this looking around comes from, especially for us, y'all, it comes from this place of hypervigilance that was required, that was necessary for a really long time. And some elements of it still are. But what we have the ability to do, we have the ability to take ownership of that skill. To be hyper vigilant, to be hyper aware, is a skill. You're almost like a, you can tell, you can walk into a room and be like, that person, nope, nope, yes, yes. That's a skill, that's a great thing. But we have to be able to harness it. We have to be able to pull it back and recognize when you don't need to be worrying about what Johnny over there is doing. It doesn't matter to you it doesn't matter. When people agree with this idea, right? You just got to be in with the right person including to your independence and people's perception of your independence. Exactly. That is the thing is like you're worried about what's happening today, what's happening 5 years or 10 years from now. But it can seem like oh this is the pathway to glory. This is the pathway. I have to hook up with this person and you know what happens 5 6 10 years down the line? You don't get promoted cuz nobody associates any of the work with you now where are you? Close the door and work in a quiet place. A lot of this is self-trust, y'all. A lot of this is recognizing that it is your job to have faith. It's your job to have faith in yourself and the ideas that you came forth. It's your job to remember that that same kernel that brought you to this field, that took you through grad school, that took you through residency, that took you through training. That's it. That is not a whim. That is not something random. You don't have to arrive and then be like, well, I guess everything I came with doesn't really matter. Let me just go see what these people over here are doing. It's what the culture tells you to do. And it's the exact opposite of what you need to do. What you have to recognize is everything that brought me here is why I'm going to succeed. These ideas that I have are the reason why I'm going to end up being important, why my work is going to end up being impactful. That's exactly why. So my job, actually your job, is to take all the energy that you used to use in emulating everybody around you just so you can graduate, just so you can be seen as doing a good job. You got to take all that energy, all that chameleon energy that you're used to. You got to bring it back and make it creative energy. Ooh, we need a t-shirt, y'all. We gotta move from chameleon energy to creative energy. Call back all that creativity into yourself and say, you know what? What is my challenge is figuring out, I wanna write these three papers by the end of the year. What is my challenge is figuring out how am I gonna do this so that I'm home every night at five? What if I believed? I know to my soul, to the depth of my being that it is possible to do that? And my challenge is to be creative, to figure out how. What if my challenge is to go get the skills I need to do that? What if my challenge is to say, okay, I might not know how to do that. Let me go get the skills to do that. I want y'all to stop looking around. I want you to truly understand that you really are the expert. Like you know what works for you and it doesn't there's no formula of how it's supposed to look. I was so sad when I saw a comment a little while back now on social media where somebody was just like, you know, I don't know. I think she was just expressing frustration with feeling like there were people who were productive, but like work nine to five, you know, basically and how like, she just basically thought she, her point was kind of like, everybody's lying. Those are lies. Cause it's not possible. And like, I, uh, you know, I'm working at night. I'm working all the time. I'm working on the weekends and like, that's what's real. And I remember thinking like, If that's working for you, that's fine. That's fine. (laughs) If that's working for you, that's cool. But what happens is we get so focused on the external, we don't stop. We're worried about what other people are saying or doing instead of stop and asking ourselves, is this working for me? Do I wanna be working at 8 p.m. sitting next to my kid? It might be, but if it's not, then you get to do something about that because your work is worth it. And here's the last thing I will say. This is the last thing I'm gonna say. So the last thing that I wanna say is I want you to consider something. I want you to consider that if you happen to be like me, if you happen to be a person who deeply cares about the work they do, who feels in many ways the work is a part of you, the work is a part of your purpose in the world, your passion in the world, this work isn't just some random intellectual idea you have up here. It's like rooted in you somewhere. I want you to consider the fact that the best expression of that work The highest quality, the most impactful way you are going to do that work is by doing that work on your terms that you create. The best way that work is going to come out is because you designed the way that you were going to do it. Not just the what you were going to do, but the way you were going to do it that's how it's going to be most impactful. I want you to consider how ridiculous it seems to take something that's so deeply embedded in you, that's so important to you, that's such a part of what you want to do in the world and go look around for somebody else's blueprint to put it on top of and then wonder why it doesn't feel right. Wonder why it doesn't work. It was never gonna work that way, okay? Focus on the goals, the specific goals you have. Reverse engineer the way you want to work. I want you to actually take some active steps to arranging your work life the way you actually want it and believe that you can do that. All right, y'all, that's it. I love you and I mean it. Good night.
1: Hello, I'm coming through to remind you that we are starting a listener letter segment on the Your Unapologetic Career podcast right in with questions that you have, you can ask me anything. I will decide what I want to answer. You can bring
0: forth challenging situations or suggest topics you might want to hear more about. To do that, you can reach me at podcast at kdolecoach.com. That's podcast at com with your questions, Please note if you'd like to be anonymous,
1: and I will always do my best to keep you so excited to hear from y'all.